Good morning and welcome to our service here at Victory Church here in Marion, Arkansas. We are honored that you would take the time to log in and view this worship together today. We're still in the middle of this crisis. Hopefully it's toward the the latter end of it these days as uh, various states take the steps to begin to open back up. And certainly we are in a planning process right now to be able to do that with our local church services Uh, We'll be making some announcements regarding that uh, probably within the next week to 10 days. More than likely, uh, the earliest that we'll be opening back up will be around the 1st of June, Uh, especially with the requirement for it being at 25% capacity, we'll have to add a service. And so we're in the process of putting those things together. We thank you for being patient with us and praying for us. Uh, As a staff, we're doing everything we can to continue to reach out and bring encouraging messages and um, lift you up and encourage you as we glorify the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're honored today uh, to bring this message to you. As we finish up this series called Courageous, today is uh, the last one. The message is called Life in the Vineyard. This whole series really wasn't planned at all. I'd had a, a different direction that I was planning on going those of you that are part of Victory know that we were doing a verse-by-verse expositional study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. This whole thing hit, and uh, everything began to close down, and so I thought we need to really speak to the fear that is moving in the hearts of people, because I believe right now that there still are two pandemics that are happening. There is one that's virus, and then there is a fear that is viral, And so we want to live above that because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, Uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us. Today, as we look together in this message, it's called Life in the Vineyard. Our text, actually, we have two of them. The first one is Psalms 104, verses 13 through 15. The second one is Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Psalms 104, 13 through 15 says... You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home, and you fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. These three elements in the scripture are always a metaphor for the blessing of God, for prosperity in an individual family home, wine, oil, and bread. Every one of them are produced by something that has been pressed or crushed. Wine from the grapes, oil from the olives, bread from the wheat, and then there's a process that every one of those blessings must go through. Last week, just to review quickly, remember we told you that God's grace provides us with blessings that enrich us and the dealings of God that mature us. And so we want to receive with joy both of those. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 is a passage that I committed to memory way back in college. And I began to, even as a college student with a little part-time job, begin to walk in this principle Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 say, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. A different translation says new wine. 
And so there's, this is an if-then proposition. If I will honor God, and it's not just about finance. And by the way, let me just stop here and say thank you to our congregation for rising to the challenge. We've been very blessed to see uh, the text to give, uh, online giving, folks mailing in their tithe checks, some of them drop, dropping by. And so we're very grateful. Thank you. Um, if you're in a situation where finances are tight and you've lost your job, then please don't be under condemnation. We want to do everything we can to, to come alongside you and help you and to pray for you. Uh, to my knowledge, we only have a couple of folks that I think that are out of a job right now in our church, and so we're grateful for that. If you're in a place to bless, then please remember that the finances go on. The, the course, the utilities are way low because we're not using the facility that much, but the building payment, all those things, our staff, we are so grateful for your generosity. We've been very blessed. Our one thing today in this message, those of you who uh, know me know that I use this concept. I will repeat one thing through the message that helps to tie it all together. And if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this one thing. The one thing for today's message, Life in the Vineyard, is this. God will provide the seed and the soil, but we must plant. He'll grow the grapes, but we must harvest and press them into wine. Think about this. When God put Adam and Eve down into a garden, he didn't give them an unfinished one. He had actually created everything there so that when they were made, they were put down into a finished, perfect environment. And I believe that that principle still carries out today. The resources you need to accomplish what God's called you to and to give you blessing in the process is all around you. You just need to pick up the tools, discover your resources, and take steps to begin to produce something with it. One more time, the, the one thing, God will provide the seed and the soil, just like he did Adam and Eve, but we must plant. He'll grow the grapes, but we must harvest and press them into wine. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of coming before your people once again Lord, to be your messenger, just ask you, oh God, today that you would give me clean hands and a pure heart, Father, that I can minister with the oracles of God, that I'll speak the words of life to your people. I ask you right now that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, oh Lord, in your sight. Thank you that you're my strength and you're my redeemer. I acknowledge before you and all that are listening that I can do nothing apart from you. Jesus, I thank you that you're in me and I'm in you. And because of Christ, I can do all things because you strengthen me by the anointing, by the presence of Jesus. We're careful to give you praise. Let our ears be listening ears. Give us hearts that receive, minds that understand. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Firstly, this morning, I want to consider how Jesus taught people. Master teacher, I, every pastor studies and prays to have the ability to, to declare and articulate the profound truths of the gospel in simple terms the way Jesus did. He had an ability to relate to people. He's standing before farmers and he preaches about growing wheat. He's standing before fishermen and he talks about the net and bringing in the draught of fish. And the ability to be able to say something and people grasp it and understand it is the sign of a communicator. And Jesus certainly was a master communicator. 
He used a principle that he would share many times called a parable. A parable comes from the Greek word parabolos, which means to hurl alongside. Para meaning alongside. A parachurch ministry works alongside the church. Um, Balos in Greek means like a ball or to hurl in the, in the verb. And so a parabola or a parabolic story is a natural story with a spiritual meaning. Jesus is teaching a truth, but he hurls that truth alongside a natural story that people can see. Over and over and over in the Gospels, he said the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. First of all, before I jump into that, there, there are multiple parables. He said the kingdom of God is like a sower who went forth to sow seed. You remember the different kinds of soil, some on rocky ground, some on um, good ground that grew 30, 16, 100 folds, some in thorny ground. He talked about the kingdom of God is like a widow who lost a coin and she swept the house until she found it. And there are multiple uh, parables that Jesus teaches kingdom principles. He said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows into this large plant in the garden and the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. But I don't want to miss the simple grammar here. The kingdom of God is. Before you get to like, you have to recognize the present reality. The kingdom of God is like unto and fill in the blank. First of all, I believe in the present reality of the kingdom of God. It is not for a future time for another people besides us. But Jesus came and brought us the kingdom. And when he moved into us after the resurrection, through the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is now within us. Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is not what you eat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is where? Inside you, inside me. And so that means that the righteousness, peace, and joy that's in the Holy Ghost is inside me. Amen. I love that. The kingdom of God is. He opens this latter part of his ministry with a couple of parables. One about two laborers, a son who said he would go and he didn't to go into the field and harvest. A son who said he wouldn't, but he did. And Jesus asked them, which one is the better son? Out of that, he rolls into what we call the parable of the vineyard. Some Bibles will put a superscript above it, above it as a story summary and say the parable of the evil tenants or the parable of the wicked farmers, okay? And so just want to give you a couple of verses. It's found in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 43. I want to read two verses, three at the most, and then I'm going to tell you the rest. It says, now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and he built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crops. Now, from that point, he says that he sent his servants to them, and they rose up and killed the servants, stoned some, you know, murdered these guys. Uh, he sent another entourage of even more servants and they killed them. Finally, he sent his son. And from afar off, those evil tenant farmers said, here comes the son, the heir of this estate. Let's arise and kill him and take it for ourselves. Jesus opens the parable 
and he pronounces judgment at the close of this particular passage. And he says, uh, when the vineyard of the owner returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to these farmers? The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. I want to get this. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. He says, this is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. This is judgment on natural Israel. He says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. The whole parable Jesus was saying was, God is the vineyard owner. He's given it to us to steward as the men in the earth. And particularly at this point, he was talking about the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, those that were more concerned about power and control than they were leading the flock of God. And he said, guys, I'm gonna tell you, When the owner of the vineyard returns, and he's talking about the coming of the judgment of God, he's going to take it from these farmers and deal with them and give it to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, God did just that. He poured out the Holy Spirit. A new nation was born. In one day, a holy nation came into being. It's called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's eternal purpose from before the foundation of the world. God took the kingdom from natural Israel and he deposited it into the church and said, now guys, I want you to grow, go and produce fruit. So this is where we are and this is what the scripture says. When the leading priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them, that they were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. Now, the whole point is wrapped up in Matthew 21, 43. The idea is that God is looking for some fruit. He has made an investment in my life and in your life. It was a pricey investment. It was the blood of his son. It was the death of his uniquely begotten firstborn. Now, what I want you to see this morning is that God expects us to do something with this blessing that we've been given righteousness of God that is in Christ, the promises of God that are yes in him. God will provide the seed in the soil, but we must plant. He will grow the grapes, but we must harvest and press them into wine. Secondly, this morning, I want to go to John 15, where we're talking about working in the vineyard. John 15 is that famous passage where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Let's grab it. In the NLT, it says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off, look at that, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so, there's the reason, so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Here it is. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I pray that every time I preach. God, I know that. Thank you, Lord, that you help me. 
Verse 6 says, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, look, you may ask for whatever you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, that's it right there, much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Verse 16 says it this way. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Powerful passage of scripture. Jesus, again, is using a metaphor. Not really a parable this time, but he's using a metaphor where he's comparing the relationship of us to him as the grapes that are attached to the branch on the vine. Okay, now don't miss this principle. There's an important principle in the scripture that's all over the word. It's called the one and the many, the singular and the multiple, the unity and the diversity. Um, In the Old Testament, there was one holy nation, but there were 12 tribes. So there's one nation, many tribes, okay? Psalm 46 says, there is a river, singular, whose streams make glad the city of God. One river, many streams, the one and the many, Right here in this passage, Jesus says, I am the vine, singular. You are the branches, plural. One vine, many branches. Okay? Uh, We can go on and multiply. Let me get one more. The scripture says that there is one body of Christ, but there are many members. Okay? We're not all the same. We're all not exactly alike. All not our eyes, all not our legs, all not our hands or feet, but we're different. And in that diversity, God gives us function and he brings blessing with one body, but many members. Just quick, I want to just remind you this. It's important that none of us let ourselves get a sectarian spirit where we start to think that our stream is the river. Some churches think they're the only folk going to heaven and boy, are they in for a wild surprise when they get to that and recognize that, that God had a lot more invitations sent out than just their group. So there's one river, many streams. Uh, a couple other things that I want to really pay attention to as we just sort of glean from this passage here is that you're pruned if you do and you're pruned if you don't. I know it's kind of maybe a little bit of humor, but you need to recognize that there's no way you're going to avoid pruning because if you don't bear fruit, the branch gets cut off. It's a hard pruning. If you are bearing fruit, the scripture says that God will prune you so, so that. Too many times we're going through difficult circumstances and we want to throw our hands up and go, so what? But we need to get the purpose, so that. God is doing this in my life so that he can accomplish his purpose, so that I can bear much fruit, so that his glory to his name has been accomplished. So recognize that there's a reason why we're going through what we're going through. Don't waste this time. Let God work in your life to prune you so that you can bear much fruit. The the other critical idea is that we've got to stay attached, stay connected. I know we're not meeting at the local church right now, but it's so important that you stay engaged. Jump online, get connected to all of our social media accounts, those that you use, Facebook, Instagram, our website, emails, texts, all these things. Everybody doesn't operate the same way, but stay engaged somehow. When we offer the live times, jump on one of those and send us in a prayer request. We're lifting you up. We're praying for you. It's important that we stay connected. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
And he says the desire is that we would produce much fruit. One little other uh, sub point before I jump to my last one this morning. It says there is a blessing in the cluster. What does that mean? Isaiah 65, the prophet is saying, Isaiah, he says, thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. Grapes don't grow singularly the way apples do or the way oranges do, or we could multiply examples in terms of fruit, but they grow in a bunch or they grow in a cluster. We talk about the aggregate noun. We talk about a cluster of grapes or a bunch of grapes. You may have 50 or 60 or 70 grapes that are growing uh, just almost in a a cylinder, but fat at the top, and then it sort of slims down as you get to the bottom. And as those grapes grow together, the prophet says, don't hurt that. Don't destroy that cluster because there's a blessing in that cluster. And I believe this is the picture of the New Testament church. God says, that for the sake of, of some, he says, all Israel will not be destroyed. He said, but there's some faithful ones that are going to be part of this new thing, that are going to be in the cluster. And as, as much as we recognize that we're not perfect, let me, just, let me just help you remember. If you look for a perfect church and think you found one when you join it, it won't be perfect anymore because you're not perfect. The difference in me and a lot of pastors that I regularly tell people, I know I'm not perfect. I'm growing. I'm in process. God is still working on me. My life verse is Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that God doesn't lay his projects aside in his heavenly garage, but he's constantly working in your life and in mine. You know, it's so easy sometimes to pray for uh, blessings in our lives and we don't recognize them. It's like the person that prayed for a cake and left the kitchen mad because God didn't give her a cake, but in her cupboard, he'd given her milk and oil and flour and eggs. Too often, God gives us the resources, but when he answers the prayer in a way that we don't expect, we get frustrated or even get angry. God didn't bake the cake for you, and that's basically the same way what we've been saying. God will give you the seed in the soil, but we must plant. God will grow the grapes, but we must harvest and press them into new wine. The scripture says that God has already given us everything that we need. Right now you have around you a garden of the blessing of God and resources. You just don't see them. You need to open your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit to give you eyes of understanding. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.17, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you can see. Okay. You've already been given everything you need in Christ, the promises of God. Second Peter says you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. God will provide the seed in the soil, but we have to plant. He'll grow the grapes, but we must harvest and press them into wine. My last point and I'm finished. It's very quick. We're not going to get there without some pressure. We're going through some circumstances right now. Some of you have financial challenges. Some of you have relationships that have been challenged deeply from being in the house together with kids that aren't in school and parents are juggling back and forth doing the homeschooling. I tell you what, I bet you when the schools open back up, you'll appreciate those teachers a little bit more. You know, sometimes we take for granted things until we do without them. What is this teaching us? It's teaching me a whole lot of things. It's teaching me to learn to be flexible. It's teaching me to learn to be elastic a little bit, to be able to stretch 
And so this morning, this last principle that I want to bring to you is not without pressure. Now, when the grapes are put into the wine press, it's pressure that produces the juice. It was actually two vats. One that people would trade out the grapes, take their shoes off, wash their feet, get barefooted, and they would stomp around the, the vat that was filled with grapes. And on the bottom of it would be a little hole where the juice would begin to run out into another vat. And that's where that scripture comes from in, in Proverbs 3.10 where it says, Then the Lord will fill your barns with plenty and your vats will overflow with good wine. And so the principle here is, is that good wine doesn't just happen. It has to be pressed. We have to take the grapes. We have to let our singular identity as a grape in the cluster be given to something bigger than ourselves. We have to sacrifice for the things of the kingdom of God. And we're pressed. And out of that, the, the purpose of the grape was to have the juice. Wine makes glad the heart of man, the Bible says, as we read when we opened this morning. But there's one more thing that I want to bring to you. Once the, once the grapes are harvested and they're put into the wine press and it's pressed and the juice is there, it doesn't just sit, it has to be preserved. So they put that wine into wine skins. And a wine skin is because an animal has died. They take the hide of a sheep or a goat or even potentially a bull. We're talking about three different sizes of flagons of wine. You've got your tall and your venti and your grande if you have it at Starbucks. And so we got these three sizes of, of, of a sheep and a goat and uh, a bull. And they fold that over, that hide, and stitch it together. And in one of the corners, there will be an opening where they can cork it. And as that wine begins to ferment over a period of time, then that wineskin begins to stretch because there's something living inside the new wine. Get that? When the new wine of the Holy Spirit comes into your life, there's something that won't leave you the way you are. God loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And when you take a drink of the new wine of the Holy Spirit into your life, it will start to grow and start to stretch you. Now, that's the reason Jesus said in Mark 2.22, no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Now, I believe with all of my heart, God's doing a new thing right now. And if you have spiritual eyesight, if you have prophetic vision, you can see what's happening. People are starting to hunger. There are more people coming to Christ right now. When we get back to church, I think we're going to begin to see the opening of a revival. I think God is going to bring this nation back to a place where we will corporately say, in God we trust and mean it. And not just pray when we're desperate and in need, but cry out to God and turn our hearts back to God. And not just have a spiritual revival of excitement, but begin to have a true spiritual reformation where we return to the God of the Bible. And we open the Bible of God and we begin to implement the principles that he's given to us. You know something? New wine has to be poured into a new wineskin. If, if you don't, if you pour it into an old one, then when the expansion begins, it will burst and you'll lose the wine in the skin too. There actually is a whole different teaching, another entirely different message where you can take an old wineskin and send it back to the tanner. You can push oil into it and begin to make it flexible again, more porous again, more elastic. 
Somebody said one time, said that flexibility ought to be the 10th fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are the nine. But they said flexibility ought to be the 10th fruit of the Spirit. Or at least ought to be a beatitude. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not get bent out of shape. And if I'm telling the truth this morning, I've had a couple of opportunities through this whole situation out of inconvenience and impatience to get a little bit out of shape. So God is teaching me some flexibility. And he's doing a new thing. And he's, he's stretching. He's enlarging. He's giving us a bigger vision of what he wants to accomplish in the things of the kingdom. Stuff we've taken for granted all of a sudden we are very grateful for. I'm thankful thankful to God for little things that for a season I don't have the convenience of being able to get them. Don't laugh, but I was thankful that I hit Walmart at the right time last week and I actually got PT and TP at the same time. You know what I'm talking about. Paper towels and toilet paper. Glory to God. And so gratitude for things sometimes that we take for granted is something that is brought back to bear when we do without them for a while. I'm finished. God will provide the seed and the soil, but we must plant. He'll grow the grapes, but we must harvest and press them into wine. God's doing a new thing. Can you see it? God's doing a new thing in some of your hearts that are listening today. Not just victory, folks. I pray this has been an encouragement to you to understand the pressure from the outside, the wine press of God, and then the pressure from the inside that begins to grow and stretch you. But to somebody this morning who may have never crossed the line of faith, God's reaching to you. As a matter of fact, the only reason we can have the blessing of the new wine of the Holy Spirit is because Jesus sacrificed his life for us so that we could hold. He gave us a wineskin so that we could hold the new wine in our hearts. Listen, this is not about earning or deserving. It's about reaching out in faith and taking hold of a free gift. Religion says behave. The gospel says believe. The world says achieve. The gospel says receive. Notice both of those are passive. Now, wait a minute, pastor. You've told us we've got something to do. Yes, that's exactly right. But you don't do that on the front end here. You reach out and take hold of a free gift of eternal life. Scripture says in Romans 6.23, the wages, that's what you work for. The wages of sin is death, but the gift is of God. It's a gift. It's a free gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Very simply, we just turn from the way we've been going and our own self-reliance and our own independence from God and we say, God, I need you. I put my trust in you. And this morning, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, God can come right to you. Make that place where you're sitting lying down in your bed, watching this on your iPhone, your iPad, or a tablet, or a TV, or a computer, or whatever. In that place, God can make an altar. But it all begins in your heart. And very simply today, if you're ready to cross that line of faith, I want to lead you in a prayer. Let's bow our heads together. Pray these words after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. I look to you. I lean into you for strength and for guidance. I recognize how much I need you. I've been apart from you. But God, I ask you to bring me back. I ask you that as I look to you, I trust you. Jesus, save me. I turn from my past. 
I turn to you in faith. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Be Lord of my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you this morning. I believe there are power, is power in your words. The Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's an announcer here at the end of this that will bring some uh, words to you concerning how you can get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you if you made a fresh start in Christ today. Everybody be blessed. Amen.